my gosh, did that just like leave you like that? Let's give it up for Charlie, all right, and, uh, and, and his team, and uh, just thank you for bringing us, man, and all of you who led us here today, thank you for bringing us just like right there. Sometimes you ever feel like when it says, uh, better is one day in your courts and in, in your backyard, oh God, than a thousand days elsewhere. And thank you for bringing us into God's backyard right there and just giving us a glimpse. What are you guys doing next week? Um, just, ah, thank you. And uh, guys, guys, good to see you. I want, I want to teach you a, a passage here today. And, and I want you to actually repeat this after me, okay? This is something Jesus says in John chapter 10. And I want you to repeat this after me. He says this, the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. You got that? You got that? Okay, say it after me. The thief comes to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. The thief comes to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Rivet yourself in that today, because we are going to be coming back to that over and over again. I want to talk to you straight up about something today. I want to talk to you about this subject called spiritual attack. I want to talk to you today about spiritual attack, what it is, how to identify and discern it, and what to do about it when it's inevitably going to come in your life. And I need to begin this today by saying, guys, this is a lot more prevalent than gets airtime today. It's a lot more prevalent than people, people give press time to today. Talk to any pastor who's been in the field for any length of time, and my gosh, talk to any missionary, like ever. And you are going to hear stories of people facing things and struggling with things and, and going through things that seem to be more than just what meets the eye, that seem to be laced with something deeper and more transcendent. Guys, this stuff is real. And, uh, and you know, I'll just be straight up as pastors, we always know when the conversation from you is coming a mile away, all right? Because the way it always goes is like this. Someone comes to us kind of sheepishly, kind of embarrassed, right? Because we live in a day and age with more sophistication than, than this, right? It feels medieval, doesn't it? Spiritual attack. And so, so someone will kind of call us up or, or send the email, and it's always kind of couched in, in all the appropriate vagueness. <laughs> Pastor, I, I just need to talk to you about something. And there's nothing else. It's like dot, dot, dot. You know what I mean? I need to talk to you about something. It's always couched with this, and then you talk to them, and you start getting in the conversation. Well, you know, I, I, just, I just need to talk to you about something. I, I'm probably crazy. Uh, uh, now, you know, I, it's probably nothing, but, but there's something that's been bothering me. And, and you go around the block like four or five times, and as they kind of feel you out making sure you're safe, Making sure you're not going to judge them. Making sure that you're not going to be like, okay, uh, you know, 911, we, we, we have a situation here. Can you bring the white coats? Y you know what I mean? And it starts to come out. And guys, I'm here to tell you today, it's prevalent. You, you, cannot, you can't get around this. I mean, the New Testament, it, it bleeds out the pores with the idea of spiritual attack. I mean, how many times is Jesus in his ministry casting out demons? If you look at Jesus' worldview, 
He couches his entire mission and ministry in warfare language, the idea that there is a power here in this world, and he has come to overthrow it and its forces and its minions. You see, every single New Testament writer explicitly talk about spiritual attack. Every single New Testament, I mean, even Jude, who's got like 25 verses, right? Even Jude, every single New Testament author writes about this. And if you're going to accept things like a God who became flesh and came to earth, things like resurrection, things like miracles, things like heaven and hell, angels, there's no way around it. You got to come to terms on this one too. That's what I want to talk to you about today. Because as Jesus said, the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. And I don't care if you're a Christian here or not. He's gunning for you. I don't care if you believe it or not. If the biblical worldview is true, and I believe it is wholeheartedly, He's gunning for you. By the very nature of being a human being made in the image of God, as an image bearer of him, you have got a target on your chest that he is gunning for. And I have found so many of us stumble blindly into this and are caught completely unaware and have no idea what to do when the attack comes. And it doesn't help that you know, the people who, who, who talk about this kind of stuff generally fall into the category of creepy Christian. Have a, Keith, Keith and I and, and, and Jason were, were, at, were at the Global Leadership Summit this, this last week, and there was this amazing comedian there called Michael Jr., and he was talking about this. And, and I'm just going to do something that he did with us. Has anyone here ever known a creepy Christian? Okay, now, if you haven't raised your hand and you don't know one, it's probably because you are it. <laughs> All right? You, you know creepy Christians? Th th this is his routine. You know creepy Christians? It's these kinds of things. It's like you go to your friend and you go, you know, man, I'm, I'm thirsty. I could really go for something to drink. And they go, you know, I thirst too, but let me show you one who will give you living waters. And, and you're like, dude, I just wanted a beer. <laughs> you know? You know, a, a creepy Christian, they, they only have sheets on their beds because Jesus is their comforter. You know? Yeah, right? A creepy Christian is the one that you go up to. Man, I don't feel good. Son, it looks like the demon of illness is upon you. And they lay hands like, I just wanted to know where the Pepto was. You know what I mean? It does not help that when the subject of spiritual warfare and attack comes up, it always seems to get weird with the people who try to deal with it. Guys, I want to try to demythologize some of it today. Because what I found is that spiritual attack is a lot less scary, but a lot more sinister than most people think. Now, there's a passage I want to show you. One of these New Testament writers, his name is Paul, where, where he writes about this, this in length, and he says, be strong in the Lord, or or possibly translated, um, you're being strong in the Lord. 
Like, way to go, and in his mighty power, put on the full armor of God so that you may take your stand against the devil's schemes. There it is. And I want you to highlight it on this, this little line. Because our struggle is not against flesh and blood. The struggles that you face in this world are not against the things you often think you're struggling against. But they're against the powers of this dark world and the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. You ever wonder why Paul had to write that? Think about it. Why do you have to tell someone that their struggle is not against flesh and blood? Probably because they think their struggle is against flesh and blood. Do you have struggles in your life? Struggles in relationships? Struggles deep in your soul with your own frailties and weaknesses? Struggles with the world that just sometimes seems out to get you? Now maybe you're just paranoid. Or is it possible there's a different kind of struggle going on? Because see, spiritual attack, guys, is not the stuff that Hollywood turns it into. It's not about bleeding walls and, and rotating heads and projectile vomiting, you know? It's something far different, far less scary than those kinds of things, but arguably far more sinister. And it's real. There's this little book written by a guy named C.S. Lewis. I absolutely love it. It touches on this. It's called The Screw Tape Letters. Anyone ever check this out? If not, I mean, just like cancel your life plans and read it today. Um, what The Screw Tape Letters is about, it's a fictional account, okay? Um, it's two demons having a correspondence. This is pre-email. They're writing letters back and forth. It's two demons having a correspondence, a, a mentor demon trying to give advice and train up a junior demon learning from his, his experience and, and his savvy. And he's giving him advice about how to continue to afflict this, this person who's just called the patient. I love this little line that comes out of chapter 7. The fact that devils are predominantly comic figures in the modern imagination, the demon writes to the others, is going to help you. This caricaturation is going to help you. If any faint suspicion of your existence begins to arise in someone's mind, suggest to him a picture of someone in red tights. I love that. And persuade him since that he cannot believe in that, he cannot believe in you. The devil is not about a figure with red tights, horns, and a tail. It's far less scary and far more sinister and being able to identify it is going to help you. Now, remember that Ephesians passage, right? I want you to open there today. There's these Bibles underneath your chairs, and it's in Ephesians chapter 6. It's found in the New Testament, and if you don't know how to find it, just look in the table of contents. It'll be there, Ephesians, near the end. Go to chapter 6, verse 10 with me. Now, we saw the opening of this section, where Paul writes, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and the spiritual forces at work of evil in the heavenly realms. And then he goes on. 
He goes on, and what I want you to do is read the rest of what he has to say. He says, so put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you will be able to withstand it, and on that day, you will stand. You see where we're at? And then he starts going through a litany. He starts going through a list. Do you see it? Put on the breastplate. Put on the helmet. Read that. Read that to yourselves for a minute here today. You got it? You got it? Believers in Christ, I'm here to tell you today that you have got that armor on. You, right now, have got that armor on. Because you are in Christ, you are armored and armed. So many people I meet read this passage and they get this idea like, where do I find armor like this? How do I put armor on like this? They turn it into like, almost like this D&D campaign where I've got to find the magic armor plus two that's going to protect me from spiritual assault. Guys, you're in Christ. If you are in Christ, you have got the armor on. But let me tell you how the devil comes about attacking you despite the fact that you are armed. Now, I want to show you a picture. This is anachronistic. It is not chronologically accurate, but go with me. This is not how a Roman soldier would be armored. But I want you to go with me. I want you to look at his armor, and other than his face, which admittedly is vulnerable, he's covered head to toe. He's wearing this this mail of armor that seems to make him impenetrable. But have you ever looked at this kind of armor up close? The kind of armor that you're looking at here today is called chainmail. The way they make it is they take little, well, loops of steel or whatever metal you might be using, and they link it together endlessly in this cascade of blanket of chain. But if you look at the armor up close, what do you see? This is filled with tiny little holes. Now, you come up to armor like this, and assuming the steel is good enough, and you take a sword and you get in your baseball stance and you give it a swing, what's going to happen? Might break a rib, knock the wind out of you to be sure but it won't penetrate. How do you get through armor like this? Well, in medieval eras, they they developed a weapon called a stiletto. It's just a little thing. It's not a big honking sword. It's not a double-bladed axe. It's a little thin knife that you can insert between the links. Christians, each of you are armed, and each of you are armored, but for each of you, your armor is just like this. Your righteousness has chinks. Your hope and salvation has holes. Your peace and your readiness can be exploited for the devil to take one of these, and stick it right in. 
So Paul writes, put on the full armor of God. Because each and every one of you who are a believer in Christ are armored here today. But put on the full armor of God. Because this is how I've seen spiritual attack work. God, or or the devil rather, will take some, some chink in your integrity. Some hole in your life. Some place where you've allowed sin to enter in. And he'll find it and stick the knife. And he'll twist it and turn it. And bring the damage in. God, the devil, rather, will find those holes in your emotional and mental strength. He'll find those places that are unresolved in your life. That you've tucked away and you haven't fully dealt with. And he'll take that stiletto and he'll stick it in. It is far less dramatic, but far more sinister, than if demon heads were to apparate, the walls were start to bleed. Because though unimpressive in look, it has the power to steal and kill and destroy. Because Jesus said, the thief has come to steal and kill and destroy. But I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I was talking to this family, close relative, in and out of mental institutions. This constant cycle of suicide. And if you think I'm talking about you today, I'm not. It's far more prevalent than you think. In and out, in and out, in and out. He'd get better for a little while. And these thoughts would start to creep back in, thoughts of hopelessness, thoughts of futility, thoughts of despair that would lead him down another cycle. Now let me ask you today. His suicide attempt after suicide attempt after suicide attempt, is it just chemical imbalance mixed with meds, mixed with perhaps False ideas breathed into him? Or is it spiritual attack? I saw this happen repeatedly with my dad. I've been open with you guys about this, that two years ago my my own father committed suicide. Until his dying day, I had so many conversations with my dad about a God in whose definition, in whose vocabulary, words like hopeless and helpless just don't exist. My dad had these ideas about how life worked and what the world consisted of and what, it, what, what his role was to be as a person, and, and there was very little room in much of that time for God in that plan. And I saw so many times where I'd share the gospel with him. I'd tell him about this God who loves him, about this freedom and this thing called grace, about the fact that you don't have to get good enough, that God is not judging you on the merits of who you are because that judgment doesn't lead anywhere good, that God has given you grace. So many times where I saw it fall on deaf ears. So many times where something else would grab his attention. So many times where it was just tuned out after all his kid, you know? So many times, though, 
where there'd be a few seconds of breakthrough. And you'd see it in his eyes, and he'd start to think differently. He'd, he'd start, the light, you know, the light bulb starts to go on. Only within eight seconds to literally look into his eyes and to his soul and see a complete reprogramming take place as the moment of illumination happened being taken away. And I think of what Jesus said about the parable with the sower and the seed, how, how, how the seed would go out and some seed would fall on the rocky path and the birds would come and snatch it away. And I got to tell you guys, I saw this right before my eyes, time and time and time again. And is this just my dad's sense of pride mixed with his education, mixed with his worldview rationally filtering out the supernatural in life, or is there something more going on? I remember my mom telling me about a time when she was trying to catch the L downtown Chicago, and she felt a force trying to push her off the platform, that she couldn't explain what it was, that it was almost like out of her control, something was compelling her. Have you been on the train platforms downtown? You know how they work? You're on this little precipice, and for a guy who's like afraid of heights like me, you're like, right, you know, in the middle, don't go near the edge because there's no railing, there's no side. And so she finally looked at this thing and said, get away from me, devil. And it went away. Now is my mom just nuts? Well, yeah, she is. <laughs> but is it possible that there's something more going on? I remember times in my own life, crushed, Crushed with conviction, accusation, and judgment that I was not good enough for God, that God could not love someone like me, that what I have done has alienated me from God forever. I remember the thoughts and the darkness and remembering this is what hell feels like. Now, is this just my emotional anxiety getting the better of me? Or is there something spiritual going on? I want you to think about those, those stories I shared with you today and ask yourself, which one is it, the former or the latter? May I encourage you to redefine your categories here today and simply say yes? Because when the Bible talks about this world, it doesn't make neat divisions between what we call the natural and the supernatural. It sees it as intertwined. One medical doctor that I, that I used to read, uh, he wrote a book called People of the Lie, who underwent a, a, a series of, of case studies on times when he thought a mentally ill patient might be demon-possessed. And he wrote something that I'll never forget. Mental illness does not per se mean spiritual attack. But spiritual attack is never free of mental illness or emotional or psychological or personal or relational, might I add. Because when the spiritual forces of darkness at work in this world get a hold of you, guys, it's going to mess you up. It's going to take its toll. Just like when a boxer gets out of the ring, his body will be beaten even if he's won by knockout. He doesn't leave without wounds, and neither will you. 
So don't be surprised if there's natural residual effects, if the two are interplayed, if psychology and sociology and physiology and biology and spirituality are all working in the same arena and the devil is playing the same games because the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy And anything in this world that seeks to steal or kill or destroy you as an image bearer of the Lord High God is spiritual attack. What do you do about it? What do you do about it? Those times when It's hitting you. It's crushing you. Why don't you take you back to Ephesians 6? Look at it again. Too many people, in my opinion, approach this passage in the wrong way. They fixate on the armor when something more transcendent is taking place. I want to show you some things that pop out. You can just watch this on the screen. So be strong in the Lord. And in his mighty power. How do I do that? Take your stand. Put on the full armor of God so that it'll all go away. No, 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 it doesn't work that way. The armor is a means to an end. What do you do about it? Take your stand. Paul loves to repeat himself. Did you miss it that time? Did you gloss it over? Okay, I'll say it again. Oh, you missed it there? Okay, I'll say it again. You know, I've noticed if someone keeps saying the same thing over and over and over again, they probably want you to remember it. They probably go, this is kind of important. This is kind of, kind of central here. What do you do about it? Take your stand. Because you're in Christ. You're not a victim here. You're in Christ. I don't care what comes your way. You are in Christ. And the thief, the cowardly thief who has to break in in the night because he can't face you, will come to steal and kill and destroy. But he has come so that you may have life and have it to the full. So take your stand. You don't have to get out there and fight. You don't have to get out there and, Lord, give me the flaming sword so I can go to battle. Jesus has fought the battle for you. Let me show you something. This is so, so radically cool. You closed Ephesians 6, didn't you? Ah, open back up to Ephesians 6. All right, open back up to Ephesians 6. Do you remember that that litany of armor in your mind? Hey, Paul didn't make this up. Do you realize Jesus and Paul aren't like making stuff up? They're drawing on the well of the Old Testament. I want to show you the imagery for this embedded deeply in this prophet named Isaiah. It says, the Lord looked and he saw there was no one, no one to help, no one to save. There was no one to intervene. So what did God do? He went to town. His own arm worked salvation for him. His own righteousness sustained him. You're seeing words popping out there. So what did he do? He put on righteousness as what? And the helmet of salvation on his what? I wonder where Paul got his words from. And he put on what? Garments of vengeance. 
and wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. Now look at Ephesians 6. Do you see pieces that are the same? Do you see pieces that are different? What is different about Isaiah 59 and what God does from Ephesians 6? We see pieces of armor, but what does God do? He puts on garments of vengeance. And he goes out to fight. Did you notice that Ephesians 6 is primarily defensive? Just stand the line. You're armored and armed. Stand the line because your hero, your demon slayer, your warrior, the Lord is his name, goes and fights before you. And that, not in your strength or ability, is where the battle is won. So take your stand because you are not a victim. Take your stand. I love what Peter has to say. Be self-controlled and alert because the devil roars around. He roams around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. What does Peter say? So stand firm in your faith and he will flee from you. It might be in a moment. It might be in a day. It might be in a year. Stand your ground because the Lord has fought for you and he, the devil, will flee. You, are, are you with me? I remember this time when my brother and I were uh, riding our bikes. We, we couldn't have been older than fourth, fifth grade. We were on this, this, this stretch of path. We called it the prairie path down in Hillside and Elmhurst. It's actually the same path that ties up here to Crystal Lake and McHenry and all the way to me by Hebron. It's weird that I've always lived on the path. Remember we were riding, there was these, these older kids, they outnumbered us three to one, and my brother and I were big, but we sure weren't tough. Pudding would have been a more apt description. And we rode by, and hey, let me, let me, let me, let me see your bike. You ever get those moments where you realize there's something more going on? No, no, I don't think so. You know, keep, hey, let me see your bike. And they had bikes too. I want to try your bike. Get over here. Start to follow us a little bit. Then they started to pull M60s and M80s out of their pocket and throw them at us. Now, I'm not afraid typically of those kinds of things, but have you ever been in the blast radius of an M80 going off? They started throwing these things at us and a couple even hit us, and man, I tell you, my brother and I, we had never pedaled harder and faster in our lives. We didn't know we were capable. We shot home, we got home, we got there, we got inside, you locked the door, you locked the other door, you put a two-by-four over the door, you kicked the chair up again, you know what I'm saying, right? I'm never going outside again. My dad was home, he worked second shift, this was the daytime, and uh, kind of thought we were a little rattled, and uh, what's going on? And I don't want to talk about it. You know, what's going on? I don't want to talk about it. Just leave me alone. Because you come out of something like that worked over, don't you? Defeated. Feeling weak. Feeling weak and ashamed and embarrassed because you weren't strong enough to conquer. We started to tell them about what happened. 
get your coats, he said. No, no, Dad, it's okay. Just, no, 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 come with me, he said. We got in the van. It was one of those big old, like, child molester-looking vans, too, you know? I mean, it was, like, <laughs> creepy in all the right ways. And we get in the van, and we knew the stretch of path we were on, and we, we, we knew where they lived. And, no, Dad, this ain't, you know, we don't want to rat them out. Follow me. And, and, and he sees them, and he goes, is that the kids? And he runs them down. I don't mean he runs them over, Okay. <laughs> And they see him coming, and they take off. He gets out of the van. He goes after him. He's not running after him. He's walking up because there's strength, and there's poise, and there's determination. And they could have pulled a gun on him at that point, and it wouldn't have mattered. And there was my brother and I standing behind my dad as he confronted these kids who did this to us. And, man, you're behind your dad, and you're telling you, you know what I mean? Because nothing's getting to me now because my dad is there and he, he is the one at the front of the fight. Your dad has wrapped himself in garments of vengeance and cloaks of zeal. So stand. Oppression is going to come in your life, outside and inside. Weakness is going to be exploited in your life from the outside and from the inside. Your frailties and sins will destroy you and haunt you. The devil will take them and stick his stiletto in. But remember, you are clothed in the armor of Christ And though you will take some wounds, stand. Whether it's thoughts of despair, suicide, that self-talk within your life that seeks to defeat you, physical frailties that come on you again and again and again, or those deep, dark, aboding senses that weigh on you like a ton of bricks, take your stand. Because Christ is fighting for you. And that's what you do about spiritual attack. So brothers and sisters, don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed when it happens. It isn't a sign that you're a failure. It isn't a sign that you're weak. Though you may very well be both those things. I am here today. Bring it into the open. Get into confession. Get into counseling. Talk with a brother or a sister, a friend. A friend who will affirm you and at the same time have the guts to tell you what you need to hear. And stand firm, no matter how long it takes against that which seeks to kill and steal and destroy your very being. And you're going to find victory at the end. Guys, I want to invite you to rise and pray.
because I know there's some of you here that are, that are in a, a front line of spiritual attack today. And I want to pray for you, and I invite you to pray. Not for strength to beat it, but the courage to stand. Not for the power to overcome it, but to be firm and trust in Christ as long as it takes until the end. And we're going to take this moment to pray, and then we're going to pray the Lord's Prayer. And I invite you to think about this prayer a little bit differently today. Because if you look at it through certain eyes, top to bottom, the whole thing is a prayer of spiritual warfare. Our Father in heaven who comes to fight for me, let your kingdom come and invade the forces of evil in this world. Let your will be done and drive them out. Give us what we need to stand the fight and deliver us from the evil one. Pray that prayer today with me with new eyes. Let's pray. Lord, Father in heaven, you have armed yourself with the breastplate of righteousness and a helmet of salvation to fight for us with goodness and truth and justice, to rescue and redeem us from the powers of darkness at work in this world and in our lives that seek to steal and kill and destroy. Your son Christ has come at the head of your advance to fight a battle we could never win. I pray for the people here today who are undergoing spiritual crisis and attack. To pour themselves into you. To call upon your name. To put their trust and hope in you. As the great deliverer. Give them the strength to stand and where there are chinks in their armor. Give them courage and eyes to be willing to see and admit and bring it into the light. Close those holes in our integrity, God, those, those holes in our hope and our faith. May we stand the line. May we stand the line, though, an onslaught, a horde of darkness is charging our way. May we stand the line and not break rank because we know that you are in the fore. When the battle gets dark, encourage our faith. Trust that you have not laid down arms and that victory is yours, Lord High God, so victory is ours in the end. Forgive us, God. So many times we fail and run. May we hear your invitation this morning.
to take our stand by you again. And when a spirit grows weak, may, may these words that you taught your disciples strengthen us, inform us, shape our minds. Brothers and sisters, I invite you to pray him with me. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever.